Hey everyone, welcome back to the Monday edition of the Goody Reader Radio Show. My name is Michael, and today we're going to talk about some of the pivotal events that have transpired over the past week in the realm of ebooks, digital publishing, and e readers. There's been a few fairly major pieces of news, and a few of them actually have to deal with Sony. Now, we do have more or less confirmed reports that Sony is going to be exiting the consumer e-reader arena. So the PRST3 might be the very last e-reader that we see that's aimed at the end users. Now this e-reader's been on the market since around last September or so, and it just recently became discontinued in Canada, Australia, the UK, and most of Europe. Some retailers still have them in stock, but you're going to encounter the situation where once they're sold out, there's no more going to be made. So what are Sony's plans? Um, well, they have closed their e-reader store, so you can't actually buy e-books anymore. And they transferred the bulk of the customers towards Kobo. They still own and operate a Japanese e-book store, and they are selling the PRST3 in Japan, but this might be the end of the line in terms of new devices being made. Now, this is just a representative of Sony Europe that said this, so I have to take it with a grain of salt. I've reached out to my PR contacts, both in Sony Europe and Sony America, to find out exactly what's going on, and we'll do a follow-up post on the front page of our website at goodyreader.com in order to let you know. Sony's pretty well doubling down now on the business segment with the Sony digital paper. I spoke to a few fellows from Sony America today, and they kind of told me that the Sony digital paper is their future. There's no point in competing in a race to the bottom. In the last few years, we've really seen e-readers come down in price from uh, $299 to $199, and I can get a pretty good Kindle or Kobo for about $79. It's really hard to compete under those market conditions. The only way that you really can is if you sell enough digital content, newspapers, ebooks, magazines, in order to help with the loss or near loss on hardware. So Sony's almost doing a 180. They're marketing the digital paper towards corporations. And they kind of told me that they're targeting the medical field, the legal professions, entertainment, and they're analyzing different verticals. And they are selling the digital paper through a few authorized resellers, mainly in the legal and one entertainment firm. But they actually are selling it directly now. So you can actually call a number and actually speak to a dedicated Sony rep. And they will sort of vet out people in order to make sure that, A, you're a registered company. And B, that if you are an end consumer and you're buying this e-reader, that you have a firm understanding of e-readers. They're doing this because there's really no customer support for the digital paper. And for those of you that have never heard about this digital paper device before, well, it's 13.3 inches. It was designed to be a PDF reader. and it's reading like A5 sort of documents. So there's you don't really have to pinch and zoom. It'll read a PDF as it was intended. And Sony said that it's basically going to be your second screen. 
there's no point to have two LCD screens in a business environment. A lot of people have one screen and then a ton of paper. The Sony Digital Paper could act as your second screen. It was designed for the express purpose of making notes, highlights, annotations, drawing on documents in real time, and then being able to save those documents with all of your edits as an independent file and then upload it to you know your corporate server, to Dropbox, or if you're in the legal field, think about this. I mean, in a class action lawsuit, there's a lot of lawyers involved and a lot of them are in court taking notes. And so this is sort of a way that everyone could make notes and edit the same document and then be able to share those with each other. It's not really meant to be an end user device because of the cost. It's $1,100 right now. And it's really that expensive because there was a lot of R&D that got put into this. Sony spent a copious amount of money developing E-Ink Mobius, which is the display screen technology, the power of this device. In essence, it's lightweight. It's the lightest E-Ink panel to date despite its size of almost being 14 inches and long battery life and ultra high resolution but it's actually made express purpose to take notes and being able to have a stylus interact with it so it allows for pinpoint accuracy we're actually going to be reviewing this device we're just waiting for it to be shipped to us uh, from the states because with the sony digital paper i live in canada and they only allow you to order it and ship it to the states so we had to ship it to a friend of ours and then they had to relay it to us here in Vancouver so I'm really excited about doing a hands-on review I mean I've seen a C-Reader before we were actually at the unveiling event when SID Display Week happened in Vancouver in 2013 when Sony and E-Ink first unveiled this so we actually got a good 40 minutes to play around with it although some things have changed to the major commercial release but it'll be interesting to see from a software point of view uh, exactly what happened. Macmillan has finally got involved in library lending and this is the other big news story of the past week. Now Macmillan did pilot projects in the past but now it's doing a whole lot more. It's actually contributing a large portion of its list of best-selling ebooks now uh, to libraries and so this is pretty exciting. They're basically making their their entire catalog. So uh, roughly, you're going to see about twelve thousand ebooks or so, and they're going to roll this. They're rolling this out basically into the U.S. and Canada. One of the drawbacks about Macmillan is that instead of a library purchasing an ebook at say nine dollars ninety nine cents, which is about the standard, each ebook is actually sixty dollars. Or more. So this could prove to be a big barrier that Macmillan is basically forcing libraries to pay $50 more than it costs to say buy it from Amazon, Barnes & Noble, Kobo. Each book is only good for 52 loans or two years of ownership. So once an ebook has been loaned out 52 times or two years has passes, the library has to purchase the title again. If it's a fleeting bestseller, this might make sense because, you know, uh, the new Stephen King book or a new book by James Patterson, it's going to be really popular for a few months. And then the demand may taper off and fewer people will actually have this book checked out at any given time. So a library might not actually have to buy uh, this book again, but it's bears 
mentioning because I I don't like the $60 thing. I think that that's far too much for a library to pay for a single title. I mean, libraries are publicly funded. They already have their funding cut on almost every avenue. If there's a city council meeting and they're trying to save money, I mean, libraries, education are two things that are always easy to cut and it's really hard to get that funding back. We're getting really close to September and October and these are the two months that a lot of new devices are announced. We can expect the iPhone 6, uh, the, the second generation Apple iPad Air, and a new iPad mini with Retina. Uh, who knows whether they'll add a, a moniker to it generally it's probably the new iPad Air and the new iPad Mini with Retina or something silly like that but what I'm really getting at is with e-readers there's a lot of new devices that are going to be coming out uh, let's talk about some of these companies and what we can expect out of their next generation uh, e-reader technology. Uh, Amazon is gearing up to launch a third generation Kindle Paperwhite. Now they've already released two and the front light has actually got a little bit better with each iteration, but it's been a slow evolutionary process. B between the Kindle Paperwhite 1 and 2, not much has changed. From a geeky point of view, I can list off a myriad of things that have changed. But if you were to put both e-readers in front of an average person and say, you know, which is the newest model, seldom will you get a definitive answer. And what Amazon is actually doing is making a higher resolution screen that's actually going to be using 300 PPI. They are also borrowing a page out of Kobo's playbook with the Kobo Aura and making the screen flush with the bezel. All prior Kindles have had a small dip between the frame of the e-reader and the screen. And so sometimes when you're interacting with the touch screen along the edges, you sort of have that blockage because the screen is in effect sunken. Now what they're doing is basically making a new Kindle much like your smartphone or tablet where you have the screen and the screen is flush with the bezel. So they are doing something like that. Um, although we can't totally confirm this rumor, but I have heard that the new Kindle will have an ambient light sensor uh, on the front of it. So it's much, again, like your smartphone and tablet where the brightness of the screen will automatically change depending on your lighting situation. But this tech has really never crossed over with e-readers before. Most e-readers made in the last few years have a front light, and that's a fancy way of saying that the light's not emitting from behind the screen like a tablet or smartphone or your computer monitor. Instead, it's coming from small LED lights on the bottom of the frame that splash uh, upwards. So the screen is really awesome and illuminated but you're not getting that light shining in your eyes but with most e-readers you have to manually change the brightness by hitting the brightness icon and then swiping with your finger to the left and right with an ambient light sensor it may take having to change the brightness of the screen which is a few extra steps and have it occur automatically so if you're in a dimly lit room it'll be a different brightness setting than if you're in complete darkness and I kind of like that I mean at the same time they will allow you to manually do it, but having the inclusion of a light sensor, I think, would appeal to the average person. Of course, Amazon is developing three new tablets. They're doing a lower-end Kindle Fire, and then they're doing a refresh lineup of the HD and HDX. No word on the exact final names, but they are going to be refreshing pretty well for new devices. And, of course, they did just release the Fire TV and the Fire Phone, so 
they have a lot of consumer tech out there, and I heard that the, the Fire TV and the Fire Phone aren't really doing too well, mainly because with the Fire Phone's exclusive agreement with AT&T, so if you're not on AT&T, uh, you're out of luck, and it does cost close to $800 if you want to buy it off contract and hook it up with another carrier, so uh, there's some financial barriers there, and of course, the Fire TV and the Fire Phone are basically only good in the U.S. Again, I live in Canada, so I have a Canadian slant on some of these consumer electronics and I'm sure a lot of our listeners are you know in Australia in the UK in, in Europe or um, you know abroad so you know these two products are getting a lot of internet attention but at the same time I mean in, unless you live in the states you're not really getting a lot of value so it's not that these devices won't work I mean we have a Kindle Fire TV in the Goody Reader office and we can install apps and play games but we can't like watch videos or rent videos from Amazon Instant Video and even the Netflix that's installed is an American version of Netflix so even this, despite the fact that we have a Canadian login we can't actually log in and get it you ne- actually need to have a US account to even log in to Netflix which I find really silly uh, the only way that the Kindle Fire in Canada say makes sense is if you also have one of the Amazon tablets, like the HDX 8.9 or the 7, because you could actually do screen mirroring. So whatever's on your tablet is on your TV, but the tablet has the ability to tap into a a VPN, which is a fancy way of saying I'm able to make my tablet think I'm using an American IP address, and then I can actually launch Netflix and launch apps and from my tablet onto my TV. So it's jumping through a lot of hoops, and why would you want to do that when you could just get an Apple TV or a Roku, or you could just, I don't know, mod out a Raspberry Pi, which I actually did. I actually bought a Raspberry Pi, and I uh, I built my own case for it, and I actually installed, uh, I think it was called Plex, which is a multimedia studio that actually has Netflix and all these video-on-demand channels. And so I actually have an entertainment box that only cost me about $19, and I modded it out myself with, like, an HDMI and Ethernet cables and stuff like that. So I'm able to connect up to the Internet and download firmware updates. So I was kind of like a pet project, and (laughs) I guess I'm kind of an uber geek to actually do something like that, but it, it was fun doing Uh, In any case, Barnes & Noble has confirmed that they are not going to release a new e-reader this year, but they have partnered up with Samsung for two new Nook tablets, basically called Samsung Galaxy 4 Nook, and I believe that there's going to be a 7 and a 10-inch model. It's basically going to be like a Samsung-branded tablets, but Nook is doing their own skin version of Android. And this skin version of Android looks significantly different than what we've seen before on the Nook HD or uh, the Nook Color or even the Nook Tablet. All those sort of have the same kind of operating system and the same skin layer on top of it. So if you've ever messed around with one before, seen screenshots, not much has changed, but everything changes with this new operating system. Basically, Nook has all new executives and management in charge of the, the Nook division. Um, they have, they brought in some people formerly from Zinio and some outside uh, promoted sources also within the company, but they have a lot of fresh faces now with the Nook division, both with ebooks and the hardware side of things. And they really kind of have like a good crew now in California that does a lot of the research and a lot of the physical coding. But in New York, you have the people that are sort of the brains behind their operation. So I kind of looked at like this new face of Nook. And I'm kind of excited to see what, you know, 
putting all their heads together because a lot of them have been together now for like a good four or five months. Exactly what is their idea of a good tablet uh, that is basically geared as an e-reader? I mean, Amazon's been pumping out tablets built as e-readers for a number of years now, but Nook was kind of having a bit of an identity crisis. But, you know, a lot of those people that have been with the Nook hardware division since the very beginning, they're no longer with the company. So I'm kind of, you know, again, excited to see what all these fresh faces and what this new brain trust can come up with because I really do think that this is sort of like the last ditch effort. I mean, Barnes Noble's lost about a billion dollars with the ebook and and hardware division since it originally launched it. So, they're kind of in a hole and they really need to get out. And I really do think that subcontracting the hardware to Sony was the smart call because they don't have to design the hardware, they don't have to get it made, they don't have to pay in advance, you know, like a million units to have them manufactured in China. Uh, Samsung takes care of all that. And Samsung has promised that they're going to devote um, a percentage of uh, their company's efforts to promoting this tablet. So I know it'll be for sale in the U.S. and U.K., but beyond that, I don't really know what other markets that they're planning on doing it in. If they were smart, they would do it in the same European markets as they run uh, Nook Press, which is in like France, Germany, Spain, uh, and countries like that. So it would be nice to actually see a viable Android tablet from Barnes & Noble that allows you to actually buy digital content and does let you access Google Play because Google Play is more or less agnostic. It's viable in a ton of different countries. So so even in Canada, it would be viable, but at the same time, it would be a Nook-branded tablet, but you would be unable to really buy uh, a lot of content from Barnes & Noble unless you lied about the country you're living in and actually use a U.S. Uh, credit card. Um, there's a few other companies, but I can't really comment uh, on them due to NDAs and things like that right now, uh, but I will bring you some awesome news in the next few weeks. Uh, let's look at some of the other companies. Acuris may not be a household name, but they're a Netherlands-based e-reader company. And they've been doing stuff for about the last three years now. Uh, they have a new 6-inch e-reader called the Illumina and a new 9.7-inch e-reader called the Excel. Most of them are using the same hardware as the ones released last year. What's the refresh? Well, they're actually running an open version of Android, so it's going to have 4.2.2, which is very current. And what's the big deal about Android on an e-reader? Well, a lot of e-readers in the past have run Android, like the Sony and the Nook uh, Simple Touch e-reader line, but you would never know it because it's heavily skinned. This new e-reader by Acuris is almost borrowing a page out of Onyx's playbook by allowing you to install whatever app you want. They have app stores on them and you'll be able to download your favorite manga app or your favorite comic app or magazine or ebook reading app. So you're not limited to the software that comes pre-installed on e-readers anymore, but you have the flexibility and creative control to be able to download and install whatever favorite reading app that you have on your smartphone or on your tablet. The one downfall is that a lot of apps like the Kindle app have funky page churn animations on their Android version and it looks deadly on a large screen tablet but with an e-reader that already has um, slow refresh rates the animations tend to chug so it's like clip 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 instead of a smooth transition so you kind of have to hunt around for the right apps and we're actually going to make a dedicated e-reading app section on the Giddy Reader app store and allow you to be able to 
um, download from a curated list because we actually will have the cursory e-reader. We actually have an Onyx e-reader, but it's not doing too well because when we had a drop test, uh, it didn't really survive. I think spiking it with like a football kind of has something to do with it. Uh, for those of you that are wondering kind of what I'm alluding to, you have to check out our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash goodyreader. Or when the video is done, so it'll be on the front page of our website. But it's one of our funniest drop test videos yet. Pocketbook has pushed back the launch of the CAD e-reader and will be launching it in 2015. The Pocketbook CAD was mainly designed for architecture and writers in mind. It's a large e-reader. Uh, it's about 13 inches or so along a similar vein of the Sony Digital Paper. But the Sony Digital Paper is geared towards people making notes on PDFs, whereas the CAD reader has a lot of custom uh, software like Adobe AutoCAD on it. So it's it's a big, large screen e-reader with a good month of battery life, and it's designed to be brought on location, and because e-readers don't have a lot of glare on their screens, it's perfect for people to be able to read on the sun on top of a half-finished building, and you know, you'll be able to look at plans and schematics and use a stylus and edit plans on the fly. Kind of cool. On the consumer side of things, uh, they are making the Pocketbook Aqua available, which is the first uh, certified waterproof e-reader, and they'll have the Ultra coming out in about a week. And the Ultra is notable because it's the first e-reader to actually have a camera on it, so you'll be able to uh, snap photos and make e-paper selfies if you wanted to but I think what the it's build behind is being able to do scanlation so you'll be able to actually scan like a manga book or a comic book and then be able to read it on your e-reader using OCR based software so it does have some piracy issues or sort of ramifications but in, in essence I mean it, scanning a, a thing, you know, a 60 page book or even like a, a novel one by one with an e reader. I could think of like better ways to spend my time, like actually buying a book scanning machine to do it on with. Uh, Wexler is a Russian company. Uh, they are most notable for doing the Flex One, which was using LGE paper, which was actually the first and only e reader to adopt this technology. It didn't truly flex because the battery was inflexible, but the screen was, and it was actually hella kind of a cool novelty. Uh, they're doing a second generation model. Nothing's really known about what it's going to entail, but I heard it's going to be released by the end of the year. Uh, Imco Sys uh, was known as the Imco V6L, and it failed to get FCC certification in the States, which is probably why a lot of people listening to show up, no idea what this e-reader is. Um, we saw it only once at the Frankfurt Book Fair in 2013, and there was really nothing really compelling about it, but it's getting a lot of press, so bears mentioning. Onyx Books has had an abysmal 2014. Um, they released their Ink Phone, which was the first smartphone with an e-paper screen only, and it was cool as a concept. They first unveiled it at the same event as the Sony Digital Paper was at SID Display Week. And when we first saw the phone, it was really responsive. It was it was great. But something happened between that finished phone that we saw and the final product. The final product was slow. It was tedious. Onyx forgot to register the IMEI numbers. And so it couldn't actually make phone calls. Uh, it was just... 
it was terrible. We actually just threw it in a rubbish basket and just forgot about it. So it's probably just like thrown away and it was like a 129 euro smartphone, but deplorable. Uh, in any case, they have a lot of products that are out already, such as the Lynx and a 9.7 inch e-reader, but they are kind of running older versions of uh, Google Android. Nothing really too notable about it, so I would probably say that Onyx is having a terrible 2014. I'd probably not recommend anybody purchase anything from them. Uh, Cybook with the Ocean, so this is a Bokine, a French company. Uh, they've had the Cybook Ocean development pretty well for all of 2014, but we haven't really seen anything yet. I think they just keep going back to the drawing board software-wise, and there must be some issues with manufacturing it or getting some sort of SEC certification. Originally, it was supposed to be out last November uh, for Christmas 2013, but now we're... I doubt it'll even be out for Christmas of 2014, but stranger things have happened. You have been caught up now in all of the latest news in e-readers, digital publishing, e-books, and all of that jazz. Any comments, questions, or concerns, you can drop it below uh, on our website. If you're listening to this on iTunes or TuneIn or another radio service or app, uh, go to goodyreader.com and you can get caught up on all of our articles there. Thanks for listening, everybody. My name is Michael. Everybody take care.